I don't know about you guys, but we have seen the Natalia Grace docuseries and we can't stop talking about it. So we're going to talk about it with you today. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Jack, and I'm back here with Kat, and we're ready to dive into more of the Natalia Grace story. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, now would be a good time to go back and listen to parts one and two. You know what, Kat? Let's set the scene. All right. This child is adopted in 2010. Is that correct? Yep. What happened in 2009? The movie Orphan came out. The movie Orphan? I have never watched this movie. What is this about, Kat? I'd love to tell you. It's about a family that has a baby and the baby dies. So they decide that they have all this love to give to a child because they're such altruistic, loving people. So they adopt a child from, I don't know, Russia. And this little girl comes to their home. And she just looks like a little girl, which is the first red flag. You know, you have to suspend your disbelief when you watch a movie. And this is probably the first time you need to suspend your disbelief because she looks like a little girl. And as we all know, a person with dwarfism is not an adult that looks like a child. Right. Sometimes they're a child that looks like an adult because their facial features often do that. Right. And they usually have a long torso and short limbs. But I'll continue. The little girl, I think her name is like Esther. She begins to do things like poison them. She starts to cause accidents in the home. And she bonds with the father and not with the mother, which I don't think we've talked about this, but in that AMA on Reddit, he talks about how Natalia was close to him, but not with anybody else. And um, she starts to cause accidents in the home. So the family had another child. She like tries to suffocate the child. All these accidents start happening. And they kind of blame the mother. Like, you're not bonding with her. It's not going well. And finally, they find out that she's actually an adult who's like 33 with dwarfism who just looks like a child. I read that that movie was actually based on a true story about an orphan who came from Russia and that these things actually happened. Shut up. No, I did. Google it. You can Google it. You're right. It was inspired by a 33-year-old Czech woman who pretended to be a 13-year-old girl named Anna. You're right. Okay, but she did pretend to be a six-year-old. Yeah. Thirteen's a little more believable. Yeah. So this movie comes out the year before they adopt Natalia. Yes. But, you know, they're busy raising geniuses. They probably don't watch movies. No, they are movie buffs. They, they're movie buffs? Yes, How they're do you know buffs. that they're movie buffs? Well, I wrote it online, so it's got to be true. <laughs> it's in part of the documents of the case. It's like they 
watch like a million movies or whatever. Didn't he have like a blog about movies where he listed all of his favorite movies? This movie comes out the year before they adopt Natalia. It's yes. a girl coming from Russia, Eastern Europe, trying to hurt people. They find out she's really an adult in a child's body. Yeah. and then So that's the horror movie. Very theatrical. I'm sure they were shrieking and screaming. There was probably screaming in and the bathroom. The mother probably was calling out for her husband. Michael is a movie buff. He surely has seen it. There's no way you don't see a movie that's about someone adopting from a country near your kid's potential country. Like, there's no way you don't see that. If they saw the movie and then shortly thereafter they start saying that she's doing things they're doing, it's really hard to believe that they're not pulling this from the plot of the movie. Yeah. These are all of the allegations that they made against Natalia, who at the time was six to seven years old. Christine said Natalia put bleach in Christine's coffee. She said she put Windex in Christine's coffee. Michael said Natalia put pine salt in Christine's coffee. Christine said she saw Natalia attack a baby boy on a baby monitor. She said Natalia was jumping out of moving cars. She said Natalia dragged her into an electric fence. She said Natalia came after Christine with a butcher knife. She said that Natalia was diagnosed as a psychopath and a sociopath. Christine said Natalia was hearing voices. Michael and Christine said Natalia had schizophrenia. So sociopath, psychopath, and schizophrenia now. Schizophrenia is also not diagnosable. Right. Christine said Natalia was smearing bodily fluids on the walls. Michael and Christine said Natalia stood over them holding sharp objects while they were sleeping. Michael said Natalia told them she was trying to kill them. They both said Natalia would make statements and draw pictures saying she wanted to kill family members, roll them up in a blanket, and put them in the backyard. Michael said Natalia put clear thumbtacks on their stairs. Michael said Natalia smeared blood on their mirrors. Michael said Natalia threw their son's toys and homework in the highway to make them run out and get hit by a car. Why were they by the highway? He was letting the kids play by the highway what without... Michael and Christine said Natalia had pubic hair and they said Natalia had a menstrual cycle and hid the clothing in her closet. Did they bother to get any tests or home- hormone profiles done to prove this claim since they worked so hard to make proof on their camera? They also claimed that they had a person speak Ukrainian to Natalia and she did not understand the language. Zero evidence has been provided to support any of these claims. I don't know if you noticed, but everything is Michael said, Christine said, Michael said, Christine said, not the neighbor said, not the friend said, not the teacher said. It's all coming from the two of them. None of the teachers have made any claims except that she seems to be a young child. Like the mans haven't made any claims. The neighbors haven't made any claims. The neighbors at the apartment have said that she just had like inappropriate social behavior, which I feel like is very appropriate for a small child who lives alone. She doesn't have appropriate social development. Everything to be explained by her age and her trauma. Right. So if the premise of all of these allegations sound familiar, it's because it's virtually the exact plot of the orphan movie. If it were true that they lied about all of these allegations, it's awfully coincidental that the movie Orphan came out right before then. Yeah. And to top it off, they're movie buffs. I think a lot of people would be like, well, where would they get these ideas from? These are crazy ideas. Well, somebody basically drew up a schematic for them on how to get rid of their child. When really, if it wasn't a good fit, the best thing for both them and Natalia would be, let's find her another adoptive placement. I mean, yes, it's sad, but it happens. You know what's worse than disrupting an adoption? Putting an eight-year-old in a home by themselves. Abusing, neglecting, and abandoning a child. Right. That's worse. Yeah. 
All that to say, I think you and I can both agree that we have major doubts about the diagnosis of Natalia, but we also want to preface this by saying if she had those diagnoses, it still doesn't make what the Barnetts did okay. Absolutely not. Most kids, when they are placed, they have something called a honeymoon period. Which, oh, we know about the honeymoon yeah, period. And you know about that more than I do. You want to tell us about the honeymoon period? So when a child is first placed with someone, there is a honeymoon period. And part of that is they're terrified. They're not like, oh, I want to make these people happy. They're like, oh my gosh, I need to survive. I need to make the people I'm with happy. I need them to give me food. I need them to take care of me. And also... Like a new place is always fun. Like if you go to a hotel or stay at someone's house for a night, it's exciting playing with new toys. You can only hold your breath for so long. It's different with each kid. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's a month or two. So the honeymoon period is the beginning period when a child has been placed with you where they are on their best behavior. So when they talk about that she waited for her dark side to come out, I actually think probably what happened was the honeymoon period ended. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And she... Likely, you know, she had this trauma. She had behaviors and she had been placed at least one previous time. She lived in an orphanage for the first four years of her life. We don't know if she was kept in a crib all day, every day. That happens with kids without special needs. I would imagine a child with her physical limitations was probably struggling to get attention. And she was incredibly tiny. We don't know how much she got to eat. We don't know if she was physically abused, sexually abused. When they talk about her dark side, I mean, there's a possibility that it was just that the honeymoon period ended. They were completely completely not trauma informed. The things like smearing urine, soiling surfaces, she was probably looking to have some control over her environment. Yeah. But also these are things you should expect when a kid has had trauma. They talk about her hiding knives in her bed or holding a knife or maybe brandishing one. Maybe this didn't even happen. But if it did, like there's a possibility she was doing that out of not feeling safe. We know very little about the household dynamics. We don't know if there were other visitors to the home. We don't know what her dynamics were with the other boys. We do know that there was other abuse in the home that was talked about at the end of the docuseries. We don't know that there wasn't other abuse in the home. The abuse that is described by Michael and also by Jacob is terrifying. I would want a knife to protect myself. It's survival, man. I had a child placed in my home. When I was reading the paperwork about this child's history in foster care, there was an incident where this child allegedly chase the foster parent with a knife. I'm going to be real. When the first time I read it, I was like, you don't want this child to chase me with a knife. But then immediately I was like, I don't believe it. I know this kid. It doesn't sound like this kid. And then the third feeling was, why was he so scared he needed a knife? The child told me a story that was almost exactly what I had expected, where the foster parent was chasing them and they were scared. And so they grabbed it, not planning to use it just to protect themselves, but also maybe to be funny. When they told me without any prompting from me, it was exactly what I expected. I had a similar experience. There was a little boy I saw for therapy for like two years and he was very young because he had some serious diagnosis and he had done some really serious things, but he was only about 38 pounds. So for me, his behavior was always really good. He did every now and then try to like throw a shoe at me or something, but he just was a little kid. So his aim was terrible. And so he never actually hurt me. And the other thing was when he started to melt down, he always succumbed. If I just would say, can I hold you for a little while? And he'd always climb into my arms and he would calm right down. I don't think that worked for everybody. Some people you just bond more with and we were pretty bonded. I definitely had kids that were not bonded to me. So I'm not saying I have the magic touch. I'm just saying it 
he and I were pretty tight. His teachers would say things like that. They would say like, he tried to choke me with his bare hands. And I'd be thinking like, he'd been on ADHD meds since he was like three. He was so little, like pants like fell off of him. So he was going into kindergarten and they would have these meetings and they'd be complaining about how aggressive he was. And with the other kids, yes. But when they'd complain about how aggressive he was with the teachers, I'd be like, why don't you just pick him up and move him? Like he cannot hurt you. He's so little. Just like, how is he choking you? How? Because he can't choke me. And I'm like five to three. He's 38 pounds. I think that when adults don't know how to manage a child's behavior and when it triggers them in their own issues, their immediate response is to make the child seem scary because that, yeah. that's the only way you can explain it. When the child is little like that, it doesn't make sense. With Natalia, the allegations are that she is trying to hurt adults. I think there was a knife allegation, but not that she hurt a child with a knife that she like threatened. But the only allegation was that she was like farting on Ethan. Yeah. And that normal she, kid behavior. Right. And that she kept trying to touch him with her hands when she had like pee on her hands or something. Right. Also no surprise. Right. Even if she did everything that they said she did, I don't believe the list of things that they have listed about her would equate to such a diagnosis. Even if those diagnoses existed, even if those diagnoses existed for that age. Just to throw this into the equation here, there are some red flags that make me wonder if anybody has considered if the mom has Munchausen's by proxy. Like, is that something I wonder that anybody has considered? Her first child is diagnosed with autism. Now we see here in 2011 that Jacob, the oldest child, mentions that his brother Ethan may have autism. He says that his brother's auditing college classes at eight years old. And someone comments, interesting, does he also have Asperger's? And Jacob responds, he's not officially clinically diagnosed, but he nails just about every symptom to look for. We treat him as he is. The oldest one has a diagnosis. The dad at some point says he's diagnosed with autism. Her second baby, Wesley, is diagnosed. At, well, I see two different diagnoses. One says reflex sympathetic dystrophy, a neurological disorder that can affect every system in the body. It's a chronic pain condition resulting from an injury or nerve damage. I've also heard that he was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. She allegedly had lupus. She allegedly had a stroke. When her nephew was born, he was oh. critically ill and they didn't expect him to make it and they were about to like metaflate him somewhere. But they disconnected him from all the tubes and everything. And she held him. Yeah. Was this in her book or in a speech somewhere? Yeah. And she said something along the lines of my love for him healed him and yeah. then he started breathing on his own. He started breathing normally because of her. It's just interesting that there's so many of these diseases in the same family and a few of them can often be a red flag for Munchausen. Right. I do think that there is like a subgroup of children that are sometimes diagnosed with autism when really they do have a high IQ. I do think that toddlers, and this is my own personal, I'm not saying this is like a professional. I believe that toddlers often do one thing at a time. A lot of toddlers hyper-focus on like, let's say language or motor skills. And when they're so focused on walking, they sometimes don't do a lot of talking. Or when they're so focused on talking, they sometimes don't do a lot of walking. They well, and that's exactly what I'm going through right now with Microjack. Microjack is like a little behind on the language side of things, but when I've inquired about it, I'm being told, well, he's focusing on his physical mobility right now, yeah. and he'll catch up with the language. They, that's, that tends to be what they do, but I feel like these really, really smart kids, they are so in love with like decoding their world that 
they don't come up for air very often and interact socially. And because of that, I feel like they tend to get those premature autism diagnoses that tend to get ruled out when they hit. And you do have some Asperger's, which has, it's no longer in the DSM, but we still recognize, a lot of people still recognize it. There is this like clinical recognition of a person who's just really bright and maybe their social skills aren't the same as another person, but they still interact in their world without any deficiencies. Like the guy from the Big Bang Theory. I think this show's creators have said he's not autistic. He's just very smart. That's possibly what's happening with Jacob. And maybe that's what's happening with Ethan. I have no idea. I have a hard time believing Michael has an incredibly high IQ. No, I, I think, I do think something's wrong with him. And I don't I mean, think it's autism. I don't know what it is. I am, I don't know if she's got fictitious disorder by proxy, but I do know what, I think whatever's going on with her, I think she has a lot of needs. It's like she seems to really need her children to meet her needs. Natalia seemed to get in the way of that. It just makes me question Christine's role in having these, I want to call them fictitious diagnoses because they're not in the DSM, right? And they don't apply to children. You know, we get into Michael Barnett is describing the typical behavior of a child. She's seeking attention and she's seeking control in her environment. And he calls that object horror. You know, this is stuff we can just expect from a child who has experienced trauma. And if he had had like some education on trauma-informed parenting and adoption, he would know this. Yeah, but it wouldn't help him find an excuse to dispose of this child. That's true. I just, I, the nice thing is like, even if, even if, and if it were true... A, why wouldn't you put the knives somewhere where she can't reach them, which seems like anywhere would work with her height disadvantage. When you were a parent, you have to adapt right. and create safety for your kids. So, hey, why don't you lock up the knives? Yeah, exactly. The thing that struck me the second time I watched it was this whole basis for her having these mental health disorders and being a quote psychopath is that she was trying to kill them. So Michael tells us when he's talking about Christine and what a monster she is and talking about their divorce and how he hasn't seen his kids in years. He says, Christine told the boys that I was going to kill them. That's right. Christine told them I was going to kill them. That's so Which is really interesting because who else did she say if Michael wasn't trying to kill like what are the chances Michael is also trying to kill his kids? It is really weird. But it's weird that she used the same story for Natalia that she did with Michael. So she wanted to get rid of Michael and she said that Michael was going to kill them, which is odd because she wanted to get rid of Natalia. So she said that Natalia was going to kill them. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. I was surprised in the docuseries when, I, when it stood out to me and nobody expounded more on it. Same song, different verse. So I think the last point about... This diagnosis of her being a sociopath just being super unfounded. I just imagine the therapist writing it in like crayon. Looks good to me. Went to four doctors to get this sociopath, She's a sociopath diagnosis. The last thing that really is like the nail in the coffin of this diagnosis is she's lived with this family for what, over 10 years 10 now? 10 years, yeah. And they have not seen any sociopath behaviors. Yeah. Well, she has stability for the first time in her life. She has 
Probably consistent food, consistent housing, consistent... It's amazing what happens when you're not being hurt. Yeah. This is like another one of these. It doesn't matter. But the Barnett's tried to create the question of, is she even from Ukraine? Can you imagine this little nugget of a human with baby teeth being like, like jogging across the wherever, like, and being like, I'm going to say I'm from the Ukraine. I'm going to say I'm from Ukraine. It doesn't really matter if she's from Ukraine. You still don't get to abuse, neglect, and abandon her. But let's just talk about that for a second. Okay, so one of the reasons is because they said she lacked an accent. And we've talked about that. You're not going to have an accent when you learn a new language before puberty. We're talking about a year and a half later. And as I said, my son lost his accent within a year. She's not from Ukraine because she doesn't have an accent. Doesn't hold up. When Natalia got to the U.S., she uh, was examined by physicians in Boston. She received a physical exam and an interpreter was required to help the doctors communicate with Natalia during the examination in 2008. Later in 2008, she was evaluated at Children's Hospital Boston by Dr. Harris and they had to pull in a Russian speaking interpreter. And then the last bit, which we'll talk about in a moment, but there was genetic testing done proving her biological mom is and her biological mom is currently in Ukraine. So is she from Ukraine? I think I can say with 100% certainty that I have zero doubt that she is from Ukraine. Not that it matters. Um, I think we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that Natalia Grace was both abused and neglected. Mental abuse. uh, We have now seen the reports of the physical abuse. There are definitely some red flags about sexual abuse from someone. Natalia was coached to say things about herself, like that she's crazy, that she might murder people, that she's evil. Michael admits that they deprived her from food until she wrote down the names of people she knew in the orphanage. Now, understand this is a six-year-old child being told that you don't get to eat if you don't write down the names of people you know when you were living there when you were four. And it's a different language. And she could have had trauma that had blocked out memories. But how much do you remember from like, I can still remember from lunchtime to try and remember names of people from people two years ago. Forget it. There's no way. Michael admits that Christine beat the holy hell out of Natalia. He even demonstrated it. Then something happened to the docuseries. There was a hot mic moment, which was where Jacob and Michael are talking. Jacob doesn't realize that his mic is on. And he talks about something that he didn't want to tell the audience where Natalia was thrown down some stairs. This in and of itself is evidence to me that she was being coached because they'll ask her a question and she'll answer it. And then she'll be like, wait, did I say that? That's not true. This is the truth. So they ask if she was ever abused and she's like, no. And she's like, well, you know, they just did what parents do sometimes. They give me a whooping. And then she said, first, Christine would whoop me and then the boys would whoop me and then Michael would what me so natalia in interviews that were recorded admits to being whooped by the boys the mom and the dad jacob and this is really sad but jacob in the docuseries talks about his personal regrets and he talks about how the mom christine had jacob urinate in natalia's bed that was really hard to watch. I mean, and that's abusing him too. Yeah, that's Telling absolutely. your son to go pee in your daughter's bed right. is abusing both of them. Like, it, that's horrendous. You could tell that he was suffering 
from the regret of oh, yeah. being complicit. Like, he couldn't even talk. So, as we already talked about, she was isolated from people repeatedly. She was sent to her room for long hours, isolated from her parents, not allowed to receive visitors, isolated from her neighbors. They deleted her phone contacts. This is a form of control. It feels very abusive. And this really, like, was difficult for me. My parents have disabilities, and you really can't thrive in this world when you're a person with a disability unless you have adaptive care, you know, unless you have what you need. So Natalia didn't have, like, she didn't receive shoes that she needed to walk properly. And they did mention in the very beginning that she needed certain surgeries and that was not provided to her. Yeah. So that is medical neglect. Yeah. And that's probably why she couldn't walk at the farm. It's difficult for a person who has no issues to walk for a long way on a gravel road and keep their balance. But she had to just stop walking and she didn't receive the care that she needed. She didn't have like the adaptive equipment that she needed, which is likely why she couldn't meet her hygiene needs, like hand washing, bathing, wiping, washing, clothes. Probably another way that they isolated her because yeah. they knew no one would want to be near someone who right. smelled like that. Right. Like, could she wash her own clothes? Could she reach into the washing machine to pull her clothes out? Did she have the step stools that she needed? With the photos from the apartment, there's no step stool to get onto her couch, to get onto her bed, to get to reach under the stove into her kitchen. You know, she would have needed a step stool to get onto the toilet. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Like her legs were not tall enough. Little people can be independent. Totally. They can be fully functional. They need the resources. They need the adaptive equipment. That is not even considered in any yeah. of this. Like she could hop on her belly onto couches and chairs because I saw her do that. You can't do that to get into a bathtub. How could she bathe? She was isolated. She was hungry. She had no toys. She was no longer enrolled in primary school. But you know what? It's all okay because she's 22 now. Her social needs were definitely not met. She was not developing socially, which is what likely, in my belief, why she was bothering her neighbors. Right. She didn't know to not... She didn't know to respect someone's boundaries, I think. She didn't know to not walk into someone's house. If you're not taught those skills then you don't know that. When you are parenting a child from trauma, this is sometimes more important than meeting their basic needs is meeting their trauma needs. And I can tell you with full confidence, she was not receiving consistent trauma therapy from a trauma therapist. There's no no way because she wouldn't be getting these diagnoses, right? First of all, they didn't care. We know that they didn't care. They, They demonstrated no care, but yeah. And they would have talked about it. They were seeking out a doctor to provide what they were looking for is what it looks like to me, but I could be wrong. So it was definitely abusive when Christine told Jacob to urinate on Natalia's bed. There was also the accusation that we talked about where she was kicked down the stairs. There's a couple hints and red flags that make you wonder about sexual abuse. Obviously, we talked about the blood in the underwear, which could have been a symptom of that. Inappropriate sexual language and behavior. And the other thing that was a little off to me was how all of the neighbors at that first apartment said that the only parent they ever saw was the dad. Yeah, that was really weird. The other thing is really bad. I was on the docu-series. On the docu-series, they interview someone who's a little person. He says that Christine propositioned him for sex with her, but then also possibly with the daughter. It's unbelievably horrific. 
She likely felt very unsafe. I mean, the dad demonstrates how she was beat up. Uh, She speaks about the entire family taking turns beating her up. So at a certain point, she's probably just going to start saying whatever they tell her to say. Definitely. She probably had attachment issues, developmental trauma. Regarding the poisoning of her mother, she said it's what she told me to tell them. Which Um, goes back to the gaslighting and trying to make her feel like she's crazy. She was manipulated to look as crazy as possible. I think, was it Michael who said that Christine rehearsed a voice with her and... was rehearsed and coached and Michael and Jacob mentioned her being coached to say certain things. She was forced to say things for food and to avoid beatings. Okay, so there's like a literal Facebook message of Christine trying to solicit out Natalia. There's a literal Facebook message? Okay, I had heard that Christine had a lot of crazy public things on her Facebook. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, so there's a Facebook message of her trying to solicit out Natalia. Like... She should be locked away and she should never be around children again. I can't believe these people are roaming free. A weird part of the docuseries is where apparently Freddie is recorded saying something that Christine told him. And they showed it to Michael and they're like, there's an accusation about you. We feel like it's our responsibility to tell you and give you an opportunity to answer. Do you want to see it? And he does this whole drawn out dramatic Michael thing where it's like so overblown. And he's like, this is the last time I'm going to say yes. Da, 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 da. He's like, give me the laptop. And they hand him the laptop. And he's like, do you want me to break this laptop? And they're like, please don't break our laptop. And then he refuses to record more. He's like, oh, I'm done. And he walks off. I think there were questions about whether there was accusations of some type of sexual abuse that could Christine had mentioned to this little person who I believe his name was Freddie, but we don't know because they didn't go further into that. There was an abuse report to the Indiana Department of Child Services in 2012 for child neglect of Natalia Grace because Christine took away Natalia's bedroom and bed and made her sleep on the back deck of their home. I can't imagine being like, you can't sleep. You can't sleep in the house. In 2018, an orthopedic surgeon, uh, Dr. Maskell, back at Dr. Helen DeVos Children's hospital, examined Natalia in 2017 and 2018 and diagnosed her again with her dysplasia, club feet, joint issues at every level, and required but was unable to obtain surgery on her spine, hip, hand, and possibly wrist. Dr. Maskell told investigators that because of the delay in medical care and surgery, the surgeries will be more involved and the treatment will take a longer period of time. So because of the medical neglect of not doing those surgeries that they knew she needed from the jump, now the surgeries are going to be more involved and the treatment will take longer. All of this together is incredibly concerning. I mean, even without her being re-aged, this is abuse. Like, this is assault. Right. There should be some charges for this, in my opinion. The people that I know that have adopted internationally, there's often a medical issue. And usually one of the first things they do is get those things taken care of. And when you don't do them, that's called medical neglect. I think you and I could both say with 99.9% confidence, there was clear abuse, neglect, and abandonment of this person, Natalia Grace, who we both, with pretty much full confidence, feel like she is the age that her Ukrainian birth certificate says. There is so much more to share about this story. Please join us again next week to hear so much more. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.